thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel and Eduardo, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. Welcome to the Know Thyself Podcast. I'm here with Daniel. Hello. And I am Eduardo. And good morning to you, my friend. It's good to see you this morning. It's good morning to see you, man. I'm very excited to carry on this this uh, this fun little break of a conversation. That's such a great story that we're going to kind of discuss today. Yeah, me too, man. I know that we've been talking about this for quite some time. And for the listeners who have been suggesting to do this breakdown of this wonderful story, uh, we thank you. But uh, we've had it. We've had a, a few conversations about doing this this movie and the story, and what we're referring to is Pinocchio. And if you haven't seen the latest movie, highly recommend it. Uh, we will be, you know, kind of cross referencing um, the story in general, uh, but also the one that came out from Guillermo del Toro. And there's just so much to unfold. And so, rather than just you know sticking to again one movie or one idea of the movie. We're going to just sort of talk about this as a whole and the overarching theme of, of what this represents. And before we even started recording, you know, I like that um, you and I were sort of in agreement of how the whole story itself is one, all characters involved are, are, are all of the essence of who we are. And so I think that's kind of like the hat we'll be wearing today and how we'll be breaking this down. Um, but uh, I just, I, I have a little bit of a background if you want me to go ahead and you know, start that off, um, you know, for, for a lot of people who might've just seen Pinocchio now. Right. Um, so, you know, Pinocchio written, uh, in the late 19th century by a man named, um, Carl, a man named Carlo Collati, an Italian writer. And he had a series, um, with Pinocchio, which is still, you know, a, a boy that was carved by Geppetto, uh, in a Tuscan village. Um, and he's a wooden puppet that basically dreams of becoming a real boy. And so that's the story that we've always known. And that's, you know, where it stemmed from, but where it really kind of took over a lot of audience uh, members and in and, and the film industry was when it was released in 1940. Um, and unfortunately, I, I read that, I don't know if it was like Wikipedia, I don't know where I read about this, but it was saying that when the movie was released, it wasn't a big hit because World War II was happening at the time. So they re-released it a couple years after its original release, and then it really hit home. Like it, it doubled down because people could really relate to it. I don't know if it was that from people coming back from the war. The war was ending at the time, and you know, with so much, you know, despair at that time, and the idea of fascism and and all of this stuff going on, it just really kind of hit hard. And I think it was like the second largest film um, or maybe even larger than Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So anyways, that's a little bit of a background um, on on Pinocchio. And so fast forward to now, I know a lot of people are watching two different versions. There's one that Disney came out with, which I have not seen and uh, recently, that is. And then there's the one that I really gravitated towards um, which is the one by Guillermo del Toro, but 
again, Daniel and I have talked about Pinocchio several times, you know, with, um, you know, just different philosophies that apply to the idea of this, of this story. And so we will now do this episode on those conversations we've had in private here with you today. So I'm, I'm very excited, man, because I know you've, you've, you and I have not only, um, been wanting to break down a new movie or a new story, but this is one, like I said, that even just as friends, we will just bring up in conversation. So, uh, I'm stoked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and I, I like that you kind of brought up when this movie was released and, you know, you, you kind of see that pull towards the whole collective community to find archetypal stories especially after something so collectively traumatic like World War II happened. And I think that that's something that's really interesting that we're going to kind of see in this modern day retelling um, by Del Toro is, is the influence of, of the collective decisions and the trauma um, that kind of encompasses all of consciousness by this misuse of the shadow that we're going to kind of see the 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 lack of connecting to the childhood essence um, and making ourselves whole, well, that creates a projection in the external where we're going to see these traumatic events that are the afflictions of human history. And we're going to kind of see these patterns and we're going to even watch this build up in the film. And I think that plays such a large role when we really start to understand the beast at the end, which is the whale um, and going to the belly of the beast and how we kind of you know, transcend that. And I think it's, it's such a unique story. You know, the original writer of this story does have Freemasonic connections and not saying that as a conspiracy thing, but more for the understanding that if somebody's aware of this esoteric knowledge, they're going to infuse it into their stories because that's how you tell a good story. You know, it's even interesting, even Del Toro, you know, is I, I believe, at least publicly, he claims that he's an atheist, um, but he obviously studies esoteric, you know, information, because we're not only going to see stuff that was very much location-wise to like Italy with these stories, but we're also going to see East, Eastern influence and even Nordic influence in this. And so he might be an atheist, but if he wants a payday, he knows what makes the money, which is the archetypal stories, the stories of our consciousness, you know? And so, you know, cashing in on that is something that we're going to kind of see. And there's a reason why these directors cash in on these stories, because these are the stories of us. These are the stories of you. And I think Pinocchio does such a great job of telling the 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 dance with becoming self-reliant you know the the impact of what the truth means learning that the things that you think hold you back in life are actually your special gifts and that you can actually utilize the things that you think ostracize you to actually unify and and kind of evolve and it's the most difficult aspects of ourselves to incorporate that is the is what the universe needs us to incorporate for this evolution to continue in a healthy, nurturing matter. And so um, I love where this story begins. I love how this story ends. And so I guess we can kind of just jump right into to maybe the characters or how this story starts. How did you want to approach yeah. this? Because you're right, it's it's such a wide conversation to be able to to be kind of had together. Well, no, you know, as as just um 
I just want to say really quick, one of the things you just brought up that I thought was so important, and I think that we're we're just going to take it from where you just left off, obviously, but with the idea of not just the shadow self, but mostly losing that childhood essence. And and when I can go back just a little bit to Del Toro, because um, I didn't know he was an atheist, but I did know <clears throat> that he didn't have you know, he doesn't really disclose his sort of, um, you know, ideologies and whatnot. But obviously, if you're going to commit so much to this into a film, you're a well-read individual. But one interview I saw with him a while back when he was producing this this stop-action film, which I honestly took a lot of time and work, um, what kept him going that he described was his mother. And I think that's interesting that he was so vulnerable to explain that. He said, you know, when I was a kid... This is the story I would go back to over and over and over again with my mother. My mother would read me the story. And he said the year that he started producing the film, uh, his mother, I think, became ill. Uh, Don't quote me on that. But I know she passed away um, right before it was released. And so a lot of his um, a lot of things that he might have done in the movie may he may have not have like incorporated if it wasn't for such a you know, uh, personal involvement with the story itself, which I think is very, uh, beautiful. You know, I think it's, it's one thing to take a film that's already been created, a story that's already been laid out, especially by Carlo Collati, but then for you to kind of like give a little bit more of a spinoff from your own interpretations, uh, to just kind of sprinkle a little more in there is, is sort of a, a very important thing, um, that someone, uh, with that kind of influence, can do you know what i mean you can stick to the original or you can kind of go you know what let's push a little further and so that's that's something that i like you know the opening scene right away you know has these uh there's something that you said to me a few days ago that i liked that you said there's these um and even this morning you said it which is he doesn't put this information right there in front of you but it's just these small little adjustments in the film that you can see that leave big messages and even the first scene the camera opens up to you know the pine cone and so uh we've talked about the pine cone and a lot of people will break down the idea of the pine cone but you know just pinocchio itself the word you know the i know it's been said by a couple other people so most people already know this by now but you know, Pinocchio referring to the pineal gland and Okio referring to, you know, Oculus, the third eye. And so, you know, there's there's a lot that you can break down from there. You can take that for what it is. You can go down your own rabbit hole of, of opening that. But in the opening scene, um, the, the Geppetto says something that I thought was very profound. And I try to look at this from the eyes of a child. And so after, so after the scene opens up, you see Geppetto and his son. Which obviously, you know, as a, as an ode to the writer, uh, the son of Geppetto is named Carlo. Um, but one of the things that I took away from this, and I want to, you know, slow down my role here and talk about the pine cone. But there's a moment where the boy holding the pine cone is told by Geppetto, when one life is lost, another must grow, you know. And it's kind of a foreshadowing of what will happen eventually to Geppetto's son, you know, the, the pine cone is planted and from the tree, another life grows and then we'll have Pinocchio. Um, but again, I just wanted to sort of bring up how these like scenes that are very heavy, 
um, are so short and so much to the point, but there's so much to take away from that. So I do want to kind of just pause and talk about the pineal gland, talk about the pine cone, talk about the reference for that, because there's so much to that. So um, go right ahead, my friend. I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, perfect, man. And I and I think we should dis- like you know take this time as it is kind of the introduction of the movie to to explore the pine cone and its significance and its connection to the pineal gland. Um, this is going to be um, symbolism that we're going to find all throughout the study of the esoteric and all cultures, and it's it's true representation of its internal function inside of the human conscious experience. And it's no coincidence. And I think it kind of comes to my story of when I was like saying that, like, you know, Del Toro is a like self-claimed atheist. I, I think that's just publicly. I think a lot of people actually hold spiritual beliefs that they kind of keep from the public because it allows for this. Um, I think it's just yeah. kind of part of that process. And I think this, showing this, you know, as an indicator right in the beginning, um, really is this representation of the esoteric understanding how the soul and the spirit actually enters form and through the body. It is through the pineal gland. It's actually like the gateway into consciousness. And it's actually what we actually bring up this unique kind of fluid and spiritual experience to get housed in in further connected to what we left, which was that universal consciousness. It is the pineal gland that connects us back to the infinite, and it allows for us to, through the trade of understanding this life, we understand that there was a trade, which was, you know, we traded infinite life and our connection to universal consciousness, we traded it for a sovereign experience as a personal entity within within creation. And there's this trade that we have to learn, which is this understanding of the energies that this pineal gland receives and actually how to utilize them to our growth that allows for us to trade off our isolation and connect us back to that source energy that's ultimately guiding us. And so this pineal gland is is the alpha and the omega of the spiritual experience. And it's one of the greatest lessons to learn, not only, you know, its, its role of bringing life in, but this is actually the alchemical spot that we actually do all the transmuting of as well and connecting it to these bigger archetypal understandings that are presented through like these stories. Awesome, man. And I, I love that um, we're starting right off with that uh, understanding of the pine cone and, and the significance of the pineal gland, because, you know, there's so many things that are said, whether it's in, in Western ideologies or understanding of the pineal gland, through medicine and just keeping it at medicine where no spiritual connection, where they just want to talk about the gland and what it secretes. But there's also obviously the Eastern understanding long before anybody was really taking a anatomical and physiological uh, dive onto the pineal gland. It doesn't even matter because even I think in the 21st century, they still say um, that it's the most misunderstood. So even people who can actually look at it and dissect it as a mi- microscopically speaking in Western medicine can't really understand how it functions. One thing that is known though and has been known is that it's at its most uh, prominent or the most potential is in children. 
And as it shrinks, as we grow into adulthood, you know, um, it is said in obviously different philosophies for why it shrinks. That is, is from just being calcified from not letting spiritual development occur in our life. And that wonderment of childhood or the wonderment that you have, um, as a child, uh, sort of, um, closes that door and you see that very much here in the story with pinocchio i mean right off the bat in the movie itself he's all potential you know he's so intense and so that he he's operating from that from that um from that that third eye perspective that we can you know can continue talking about but i like that you know um what you said about del toro is that he he probably has to sort of stay in a way occulted of what his beliefs may be only to kind of present all of this and kind of let you sort of decipher it for yourself and here we are sort of doing that so love where we're going with this man let's just keep going um yeah absolutely man and you know even when we think about the pine cone um it's got to be connected to the pine tree and this is going to represent the same tree of life that we fall from, that we also have to climb our way back. And it really represents the spinal cord. It represents the 33 vertebrae. And, you know, when we're actually even looking at the alchemical process, there, there's actually a physical... Um, there's a physical secretion that actually happens like monthly in individuals where they can actually like learn to harvest this energy. And it's kind of the deeper lessons of the alchemical process, but this pineal gland and it's kind of its cohort with the pituitary, pituitary gland is, is actually what we kind of talk about in the land of milk and honey. The milk is going to represent the pituitary gland and that's serotonin. And then Actually, where we experience DMT is actually going to kind of come from this pineal gland. And so these two, the the nurturing of the secretion that actually comes from um, a part of the brain called the claustrum, which actually like moves down the spinal cord to get to the sacral plexus, and then it climbs its way back up the 33 vertebrae, vertebrae to actually be it actually like once it passes the vagus nerve, it actually sits in the hypothalamus, which is the light of the world for three days. And then it actually gets processed into these two glands. And so we actually kind of learn about how as an adult, we have to learn to harvest this energy because it doesn't have natural secretion and fluid movement through us as with as least resistance as a child, because as we go through adulthood, we meet the resistance of the world. We meet the pain, we meet the deaths, we meet the struggle. And so it affects us in our ability to actually process this naturally. Um, this is like deeper, like, you know, this is, it, it's so interesting because it rests in the hypothalamus for three days, just like the sun rests during the winter solstice. And this is why as we kind of get into deeper alchemical studies, we learn when this actually gets secreted in us, which is actually when, you know, the moon is in the sign of our sun. And this is a special time for us to actually sit in this space and be quiet to allow for this to actually go through its process of climbing up the 33 vertebrae. And so we're learning about that with Geppetto, which is going to be this like central figure of this character. It's really going to be reconnecting to that that spiritual fluid. And it was quite literally called 
in ancient Greece, chrisma. Um, and it was the consciousness. It's like an oily like substance that they said smelt like fish that was actually like secreted from the brain. And this is your, this is the sacred elixir. This is the Christo. This is the Christ consciousness that needs to be saved in the system. Um, and it's actually a process that happens within us. But as we go through the process of calcination, not only do we not produce the secretion, but we don't know actually how to harvest it. It gets, it gets loaned out by the, it gets pushed out by the lower levels of energy, rather letting those energy centers, which are like the chakras or the um, sethra, actually like rotate this energy and bring it back up to the pineal gland, which will be the representation of the third eye. And so it's a fascinating process that we see Geppetto struggle through because, again, this is our struggle. We lost that child look innocence. We're going to lose the inner child. Now, this is an important process in maturation to lose that inner child, but it's reconnecting to the child in a practical, healthy way. Um, and everything that kind of comes in between, even the rambunctiousness of when we get introduced to that child as an adult and it's not incorporated yet and it's all running around, which we'll obviously kind of get to. But, you know, this, this idea of, the pine cone, the fruit of this tree being so dominant as the seed, and that's all we see. Um, but to immediately come with him actually mourning by the grave, because the first experience we have with Trepetto, he's actually by the grave of his son that we're going to meet that's lost. And I think this shows quite literally the fall into matter and the dance of you have life, and then you immediately realize that you're going to die. And this is actually represented in the Zodiac. The first house is the coming online of reality. Oh my gosh, I'm alive. I'm a separate entity from my mother and my father. You know, I have my own sovereign experience. And in that excitement, whether you're super happy, whether you think you're late for baby work like a Capricorn, or you're like trying to show off like a Leo, there's a situation where you fall down and you bump your head and you feel pain for the first time, and you feel resistance of form. And we're, we kind of perceive that as death. And that's exactly what we kind of see in this story. It immediately jumps into the celebration of life of this Christ consciousness, and then the heaviness that zaps this and actually calcifies this in this five-sense reality that we kind of have this trade-off to experience. Um, and that's why the story is kind of about a tradesman, because it talks about the trade that we went through, that we kind of brokered to leave the infinite collective to journey in the sovereign personal experience of consciousness with the idea of we learn this trade so we can make that trade back into connecting to that universal consciousness in our own sovereign way. And so, you know, I think it's so interesting how we have this explosion of life and then we're immediately met with the one thing that we're guaranteed in life, um, and that's death. You know, it's not that we're going to have personal love, we might not be guaranteed fame, and riches. But the one thing we know we can be guaranteed is death. And we see this early experience of this such important archetypal pattern to understand playing out as soon as like the curtains yeah, open no, up. Awesome, man. Uh, a lot to unfold on what you said. And like going back to, um, and I don't think we need to go back too far in regards to the pineal gland, but there's so much to, you know, um, talk about with regards to that Christo, that, 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 
that essence, that elixir you talk about. And I think that the way that the movie incorporates the idea of what this initiation will have um, is done with death. And I think that's the best way to reach people in a primordial sense is that, you know, to really wound you in the beginning as he's wounded himself, you know. Um, and I think that's why, you know, so many people who mm -hmm. explore even the, the significance of this movie explore the ideas of, you know, what it means to um, come online. You know, you, you mentioned um, uh, dimethyltryptopene, which is uh, DMT. And, you know, obviously most people are familiar with that with as it's hallucinogenic compound that, you know, is found in ayahuasca. And so a lot of people who are curious now on how to sort of go through an initiation are subjecting themselves to different ways of getting to that place where we once might have been as children and what we might have lost. But once again, a film can do that to you as well. So, you know, it's nice to have the compound. It's nice to have the experience. But to to do it by a visual is very powerful because it's hard to do. You know, it's very easy for us to see a visual, to take a movie and start immediately judging it from the very get-go of like, well, why, why this and why not this? And I actually, the first time I saw this movie, to make a point, uh, I was with four individuals, no, five. And four of the five were like, I don't know if I really want to watch this right now. It got very real too fast. They all kind of were like, can we do something else right now? Mm -hmm. And I was so disappointed because I was like, wait a minute. No, come on, like give it a chance. And they were like, no, which is very telling of even just the process of going through. Uh, if you ever have had your experience with ayahuasca, my experience with it, there were many individuals going on their own personal journey. And there were many people who were rejecting it, even though they subjected themselves to that ceremonial process. When it started, you could sense who was there and just let go and who was there and denied. And so you kind of see that with Geppetto. So there's, there's sort of a pull, but there's also, there's a push with the character, uh, right away. He's, he's, he's hurt and betrayed. And in the opening scene, there is this, this moment where you can see that he's been closed off and you know, he's been betrayed because he looks up at the sky in in such disarray and tears and anger for the loss of his child. And this is after he's long gone too in the opening scene. Um, you know, and he's, of course, you know, something that's very relatable to even now. Um, you know, he's, he's wounded, but he's drowning his sorrows with alcohol. And there's this moment where you kind of see like this guy has not necessarily just turned gray, turned old, but also his heart has blocked out much of the, um, the understanding of, of what it means to mourn and what it means to sort of go through this process that I, again, I'm not saying he's denying, but he's not also, you know, uh, coming to, um, coming to, to, to peace that he lost his son, you know, there's anger in him. And so again, there's a lot that they, they incorporate and you're absolutely right in that opening scene. Um, and we can go on again. <laughs> there's so much, like I even had, uh, you know, certain, um, things I was going to bring up regarding Rene uh, Descartes, which is a 17th century French philosopher who, you know, tried really pushing the idea of the pineal gland and what it really represented and how he was sort of ridiculed and sort of, you know, told that there's no correlation to what he's presenting with, with regards to the pituitary gland or the pineal gland and its significance. And so there's been push on this forever. And I think there still is. And I think again, this movie 
sort of does that for you. It gives you that initiation process if you're willing to take it. And I think that that's just, again, huge. So, but I want to go back to what you just said about waking. You said something about like falling. Yeah. And you know, man, yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to touch really base really quick with you on um, the use of film to actually kind of tap into the, to that DMT experience um, and to, you know, because I think that's such a, a good way to understand how these archetypes and mythologies touch you in a, a different kind of initiation right. kind of way. Um, and just why that could also be kind of denied, you know, because ultimately this is something that is produced inside of us. You know, even when we sit in ceremony for ayahuasca, it's trying to wake up something and communicate to something that's right. already inside of you, you know, so this is naturally occurring and we can actually find ways of plant medicine, but we can also use ways of form and symbols and even film and art to actually create that secretion and create that process um, and to educate the individual on how they actually can like tap into that at all times, you know, because it's always there for us and it's always kind of present. And I think that that's, um, you know, such a unique thing to kind of think about as what does wake up in, in that moment of the denial of even like going on the journey of, of watching this film. You just said something that I, think is wonderful about the awakening is that when when people say these generic terms you know of like oh once your third eye is open you know or once you're awakened and they're becoming very quickly you know watered down for those who don't want to really investigate what the definition of that might be but what you just said is exactly the point is that once you have reached that that point of opening up that say secretion again that you might have had of this wonderment as a child you see the world obviously in a much more different and vibrant way and so many people who have gone through ayahuasca or through other ceremonial processes or other you know hallucinogenics man i'm struggling with that word today but um then then they kind of let themselves be open to so much and so obviously with music i know that there's people out there who will deny certain music and certain artists because it's touching feelings that they haven't even dealt with in a very long time. And I've literally had conversations with people go, you know, I don't like that song because it makes me feel this way. And obviously I'm not going to sit there and say, well, that's silly. You should get over that. It's like, I, I that's your own process to go through. And so once again, with film uh, in, in regards to this movie, if you haven't had that opportunity to awaken that side of yourself or, or maybe dealt with something heavy, it will get heavy super fast in the beginning and make you not want to see it. Like I just described with those individuals who are sort of like, I'm not ready for this, nor do I want to be ready for this. And what am I going to do? You know, I'm not going to be like, well, we're going to watch this. You know, it's like <laughs> I couldn't do anything about it. And so right. um, you're absolutely right, man, um, that the, the way that film portrays this initiation and other things you know like i said once you're open to it like a child is all of it can hit you like a wave of emotion and you can see it for what it is and and and, you know it could be glorious or you can eventually you know grow old and deny so much of it that when it does try to penetrate or tries to enter you know it's more of a it's more likely that you'll be defensive and more you know 
upset about why it's even tickling this part of you. You know, you're just like, why am I even here right now? Um, and so obviously you see that in a ton of films, um, when it comes to this initiation. So, um, but yeah, what I wanted to do, and, and, and you can stop me here and I'll edit this out is that I want to talk about how you just said how you fall from, from, from above, you know, into matter, into, into understanding your form. And there's a scene where Geppetto, as he's just like, just so angry and, and, and chopping the tree, there's so much that happens in the moment of the night that he's just feeling betrayed. Do you want to start off from there? Um, yeah, man. And I think we should, um, you know, because, you know, we, we kind of have the opening scene where he's at the grave, yeah. um, but we just have the mourning. We don't really have the anger at this point um, because we kind of have to do the flashback oh, right. of his experience right, right. with the boy, um, you know, where we actually meet his son. And I think that there's something really special as certain kind of indicators that are represented in that presentation of almost this flashback. Yes. Because we, we kind of come to see him at the grave you know, where he's mourning. And we actually can kind of see actually as this story develops and it pans out, we actually see the, the like the destructive habits that are created from this pain and this loss. It's not just sadness. We're going to see it come out as anger and self-inflicted, self-inflicted pain through like alcoholism and the, the blindness that kind of comes from, you know, attaching ourselves to such a um, hypnotic chemical for such a long time. And um, so we... We have this like introduction where we we see him mourning and then we go through this loving experience and death, although it's brought up, it's quickly forgotten and it shows the idea of fear and how quickly that can actually like leave the child's mind to where that we we get we meet death but then there's so much happening in the world around us and that's actually what kind of represents with the third house as in the second house we like meet our finiteness we we understand that there's an expiration date to this experience but there's just so much wonderment and there's so much to learn about this and so much to explore and the third house opens up our curiosity it opens up our ability to communicate with other sentiment beings and have this process of interaction with other souls. And and we see this represented really in a beautiful way between this, this father and their son. And this is going to represent the into connection of the creator with the creation, the, the, you know, Saturn with the son, the idea of the father with the child. And it shows this unison communication that's growing through them. But right away, we see trials of an initiation beginning. Um, there's in the opening scene that we see them together, there is um, not only do we see a foreshadow of, of what's coming in the collective with like the airplanes that go overhead, but one of the first two main things that the canvas focuses on is they both bite an apple or a pear. And this is to mark that the initiation is beginning. The 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 tree of knowledge, we have bitten the apple. We have now taken the aspect of like approaching the idea of sin and the idea of free will. Um, and the consequences and the heaviness that comes by biting that apple of desire. And that's the desire for a conscious life and a conscious experience. We're going to see 
the young boy as well as Geppetto bite this apple. And these apples are going to play a big role because, again, you know, we kind of spoke about it. You know, these are representations of little Apple iPods. They're little, you know, bitten through sin. That's the gateway into life. And so these apples are going to mark this initiation of something beginning. And right away, we start to see later astrological signs being represented. There's a painting of his shoes, and there's the giving of the shoes. Well, the shoes are going to represent Pisces. So that means that we're going through a portal at this point. We're going from one life to the next. And this is very much the end of a story. This is the demise. Everything goes into Pisces to turn to dust. And we see this with the wooden shoes and the celebration of the shoes, because Pisces is going to represent the feet. And so we see this completion of this idea that although... His connection is strong with his child. There's like this, there's like these lessons in these, in this, this process of Saturn is coming back around. Like you've completed it to the octave you were supposed to complete it, but now we're about to take the next step. Um, and we could even see this with not only the feet, but there's also a blacksmith or, um, an individual who's making a horseshoe and he's speaking about how He's speaking about Geppetto's character and, and the greatness of his son. And he's got this hot metal, you know, horseshoe that represents Sagittarius. And he actually drops it into the water, which is going to be the cooling down aspect. And that's going to represent Capricorn. So we can kind of see this idea that there's going to be some sort of sacrifice and there's going to be some ending as we know it, but the ending is going to kind of lead us to another beginning. Um, and we see this kind of with the, the connection of all of these energies as like, here we have this like, what we see as a perfect family and even a perfect society, but we don't understand the, the turbulent, you know, conditions that are about to be presented with them in the future. And it's not only Geppetto who's going to lose his son, but the the whole town is going to lose its innocence with the coming of this conflict, this armed conflict, which I think in this one is represented by, you know, World War One. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I love every reference you're talking about in regards to the astrological um timeline that is is presented i did not see it for that um when i i mean i kind of see the pattern of where it's going obviously they kind of have this impending uh doom that's probably you know going to to be coming especially when you see the wonderment in geppetto's eyes when he's playing with his son and spending his days with his son in the sun you know just sort of uh living mm-hmm. a, a sort of careless uh, life. And, and there's a beautiful song that he sings to his son also that I, I really like that his uh, widowed wife had written. And there's so many little things that you can pick up, but that's awesome, man. Cause I did, I mean, obviously there's this moment where he comes to, around the corner uh, into the village there in, in what would be probably Tuscany or somewhere in Italy. And the, the uh, iron worker says that's the, that's the role model of a, of an Italian, of a true Italian. And everyone's just like, Oh, they're Mm -hmm. so perfect. And there's just such like admiration for their connection that they have that it allows you to sort of feel as if though you were one of the villagers also admiring the connection that a father and son have, uh, on their journey together. And you kind of, you know, are invited to, to share that sentiment 
because, you know, obviously nothing is placed there for no reason. You know, they didn't just come up with that in a script or didn't have a voice actor just come in and say those few words for no reason, you know? So, um, that's awesome, man. I had no idea. Um, but yeah, so I think shortly after is when you sort of see the opening to them going into the church. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I think, yeah. And, you know, as we're kind of looking at these archetypal stories where, and I love that you brought up the idea of the withered mother because the the sacred feminine plays such a huge role in this story, but we actually don't see it represented in any kind of human form. It's going to be represented through mother nature and divine universal guidance as that feminine mother consciousness creation energy. Um, but we don't see it in the physical form. It's actually absent, but it's it's kind of interesting. A lot of times when that widowed energy is absent, that's actually who we're searching for. But this story, it's the mother was never not there. Mother nature is always going to be there. And that guiding force of creation in that motherly way is always kind of there. This is really the story of like saving the father. And we see this role of the father archetype also in the comment that that Italian man made. Because, yeah, we might have gotten now to the level that we're the optimate supreme like understanding of what it means to be a, like a citizen of a country well now it's time to like evolve to an a, a, like a true worker in the universe um and we graduate above these these like limit not so much limiting but they're just we we take the step to the next octave you know we go from the the father figure as that male component of consciousness to society, it's like the next level where the mother's next level is Mother Earth, you know? And then we take society and we go to the ultimate level, and that's that universal life force energy that is, you know, the the lowest common denominator of all energy. It's like that OG original generator. And so we we're kind of in our own father's eyes we've we've gone the 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 respect and the support of others but that's not really where we're going to find everlasting happiness is by other people being um like oh you're a good man well that's that doesn't matter we think there's a lot of good men in this world who are probably terrible men and there's probably terrible men that were actually better men like it's it's not for the society to judge that's not your judge um let them judge but like they're not the ones to say who you are as like the level of your character. And so it's kind of this idea of even approaching this idea of like connecting to our universal character above like these personas, because although he looks great, this, there's a persona here. There's like this idea of like going to church, but we truly don't believe because what's going to happen is we're going to damn the same God that gave us grapes when he, when he mashes them to make them wine. And he's going to get upset about this. And so, although on the outside, from a society viewpoint, he's got it all together, there's no foundation and there's no roots. The first part of tragedy, which is the ultimate tragedy of losing his son, he's going to lose all of his grounding. He's going to lose his foundation as being a maker, a clockmaker, the father time, and the builder. And he's also going to lose his role as being like even a responsible citizen with others because he's going to start drinking and he's going to kind of be, um, you know, he's going to kind of be, have these destructive habits. And so, you know, we see it, but it's, 
it's like we know disaster's coming because there's no foundation to this pyramid. Right. There's no understanding of actually, you know, how to use this this pineal energy and this kundalini energy. Right. No, you know, and, and, we're going to find very cool. And so, um, you know, like when we when we're learning about this process of the pineal, there's we we awaken this energy and we really have to learn how to utilize it and become a tradesman into it and a and a carpenter or a master of this energy. Um, and it's the same kind of idea that this, like this electricity, the spiritual electricity that lives within us. Well, an electrician can either burn a house down or he can light a home up. And we're kind of learning through this process that we're going to be kind of come that ultimate electrical, uh, that spiritual electrician kind of through this. Wonderful, man. Wonderful. And again, there's so much you say that, you know, uh, I want to always dial back a few steps um, before we we move forward. I want to go back just a bit. But one thing that personally I take from Geppetto and his journey that needs to be considered for every individual on this path is something that we've said so many times on this podcast as just people who've experienced this. And it's actually something that I know many people fear, but I think a lot of people assume that going through a process and we'll use the alchemical process to raise yourself to the next octave has its you know its doom and its gloom and then its rise but it doesn't mean it's not bound to happen again and so one of the main things that i take away from geppetto is that he's already evolved one time before you know he's a man who has nothing to prove He's widowed, so he went through a tragedy. He doesn't have any more children except for just um, Carlo. And so there is nothing else for him to fall back on. So I, I can assume from my perspective or my like my way of, of, of visual, like visually seeing this movie that his time of pain has already happened. It's like this is why he's so joyful in a way that he's like, you know, I have already lost my wife, but look at my son. It's my son. It's a new chance to continue life. Life can be hard. Life can be, you know, very dark, but here I have my son. He's got so much into that. He's got so much faith into his relationship with the life that he has now because he is an older gentleman as well. So I think one of the things back to the iron worker, even the iron worker himself is an archetype of, of a man who isn't really necessarily in the same, um, I wouldn't say the same boat, but in the same realm that Geppetto finds himself in because the man is just like, that is an Italian. I mean, even his voice is just like kind of rigid as he's being rigid with metal, you know, and this man, Geppetto, is not afraid to sing. He's not afraid to sing and take in basically the role of the mother for Pino or uh, Carlo, that is his son. You know, there is no bitterness in him that you see a very rigid father who's like, yeah, I'm widowed and, you know, it's time for bed. Call it a night. He's just like, oh, you need me to play you a song. You need me to put you to sleep. Like he took on that role. And so one of the things that I find very harsh in this life is that you may find yourself in that position as well, where you're like, I already went through a very painful process. I've evolved. This is my new evolution. This is who I am. But that we talk about this all the time. That's not that, 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 I mean, you're lucky if that's where it, it ends for you and you sail off into the sunset. But that's not what's going to happen to him. And I think that's where rage tends to double down is that you think you've already been betrayed. You raise from the betrayal of what life might do to you. Therefore, you're now good. Like almost like there's a God wink there where it's saying, hey, 
you went through it, you evolved from it. Now you have this great life. You have a job that isn't necessarily a job, but it's a lifestyle, which in his, in his case, you can see the way he, he builds and constructs for the town. He's not sitting there like the iron worker going like, I'm just doing this monotonous thing. And you also have this joy from your son and the new life that's coming from him. And it's all good when it's really about to get again, double down onto worse. And so that's something that was setting me up, me as an individual, Eduardo watching this movie, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> again, it would, it would be so much more comforting for someone like me to watch this and go, oh, but he's got two more kids and he's got a wife and oh, he lost Carlo. So, okay, well, that's really sad. People lost children back then a lot easier, but he's got more to fall back on. He does not. Uh, and so that's very heavy as far as this process that he's going to have to go through through maybe his second initiation for all we know. You know, we don't know what it was like when he lost his wife, but you can guess that he got over that and moved forward. And now he's going to have to be taken down a peg again, in a sense. So that's something that I kind of like take away from the conversation that you just brought up prior to me uh, wanting to interject that that thought. So anyways. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's kind of interesting because we, we see it as bringing down a peg, but he's actually moving up a right. peg. You know, he's actually moving up an octave, um, but we don't perceive that. And this is what's difficult about judging, you know, this is the experience of father time um, and the the pitfalls of analyzing a moment in the moment we find it's ourselves in because we actually don't know what this door opens up to um, and the experiences that it's going to lead to. And this is what Geppetto represents here is father time and the idea that everything you create is going to die. There's no way around that. And so what we're going to see here is, yeah, he was, he mastered physical creation. He mastered, you know, the emotional support um, of the family, even though, and he's even was, like you said, was able to restrain maybe the losing of his wife. This is his only child. We're not saying that's easy, but what this is, is, is he's reached a limit now to where, you know, everything you make is going to turn to dust. What are you going to create that's eternal? Uh, and this is the process. This is the mark of initiation. So I like that you brought up the point that this is not somebody coming in on base zero. They've been through experiences. They've been battle tested. I mean, just look at him. You could tell he's been battle tested yeah. with like the gray beard. Yeah. Um, you know, his, even his, his skill, his trade, like he, he is a master, but now we're being asked to be a master of a bigger craft. We're approaching Pisces. Everything's going to turn to dissolve. Like everything you create is going to turn to dust. And this is, this is part of this understanding of, of father time that Geppetto kind of represents. Um, and, and our, you know, the trade that we took to make this trade is that we have to live in linear time. You know, we, although it's all one big moment, we perceive it as individual moments as we go through it in this like linear, collapse. Um, and so we have to struggle through him when he kind of goes through these new openings and these new gateways. Um, and it really is the ultimate disaster we could kind of think of. But from this and the result of this and the result of losing something that is finite, we can actually connect and make something that's infinite. And that's what Pinocchio is going to kind of represent and the eternal life that he kind of carries on afterwards. And so we are, it's, it's, it's asking you, you know, 
what what have you created? What kind of foundation have you created? How deep do your roots go? Um, and you know, it reminds us that the this this climb that we're making, the roots of the tree have to go down into hell and experience hell for the limbs to blossom into heaven. But the tree touches both ends because we have to experience both. And we really kind of find in this climbing up of the the sacral tree, which is our nervous system or our spinal cord, it's we climb the same tree that we fell from. Um, this is why, again, with the biting of the apple, like it's this new process and this new journey. But you're right. It's not a young hero going on this journey as um, Geppetto yeah, I was is. Say, is he's, he's playing the archetype he's a you wi- talked about with the grandfather, you know, like uh, I had a very strong connection with my grandfather and you see that immediately kind of resonate with an individual who may have had that relationship, which is like he gives his son many, many permissions. There's like no moments where the kid is being scolded as much as he's being shown, as much as he's being, um, you know, uh, uh, given an opportunity for growth. And so, again, there's there's a lot of these little things that you notice that this man is an evolved man from, again, maybe from tragedy, maybe from just years. And so I love that you're bringing up the idea of it, him being father time because he really is. But um, yeah, man, solid. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so all I was going to say, and you can go back if you want, um, if I'm going forward too fast, is... They, they, as a craftsman, you see all the little knickknacks he makes and the tchotchkes for the town. But more importantly, he is working on on his biggest project along with his son, which in this case is a wooden Christ. And I think that that's a, you know, obviously they're they're going to incorporate that for the time being in that century of of Pisces and having the idea of of Christ being the representative, especially in an Italian town uh, uh, with with Catholicism being the overarching um, spiritual guiding uh, force that this town probably relies on. And, you know, they're working on this this giant wooden cross and, you know, you kind of see the admiration the son has for his father, Geppetto, um, as he's putting this together for for the church. He's the one and only putting it... um, uh, into into uh, existence right there and then. And you're going to see a lot of this scene of Christ um, throughout the movie, which I think, again, you brought this up in the beginning. There's a lot of Eastern and Western mysticism and, um, uh, you know, uh, objects that are presented throughout this film that kind of give you the idea of, you know, more or less how to connect whether you connect one way through Catholicism in this case, or through the idea of Christ consciousness, or you connect through Eastern philosophy, you, you were mentioning this earlier, you know, Del Toro does a good job at sort of kind of keeping both uh, fully present. So um, do you want to go into that part right there where he's in the church? Yeah, I think that that's, that's, that's a, such a good tale and it's, it's I think it very much equates to the idea of you know loving the image of Christ but not truly like walking in its image and walking with Christ and following right. the footsteps and I think that this is what the Pisces feet with the shoes kind of represent is we're going to start that path to actually 
walk as the world savior, um, which Pinocchio is going to ultimately be when he when he sacrifices. Um, and so there's there's this whole connection of again, kind of an attachment to the materialistic side of even the church and the structure. Um, you know, and there's uh, we have the scene where we actually kind of we see you know Jesus on the cross made of wood which is obviously going to come up such a, a large role when we, we meet the other character, main character of the story, which is going to be Pinocchio. Um, so we obviously have that correspondence right away. But we have this idea of the Christ not completed. And we have this Christ that it almost looks like it's sleeping. It's because he's still kind of doing the crucifixion and, and working on it. The, the Christ consciousness is dormant on the cross. And this is representing, again, the dormant Christ consciousness potential that's, that's asleep within the main characters. Um, they haven't awoken to this, this higher understanding, um, that's of this, like, Christ expression that kind of comes through us. Um, again, we, we've kind of met society's standards and maybe even like what a man's standards is or like the standard of like what a wise old man would be. But Geppetto is more than this. He is the walking star of Christ. And so it, it's really, again, kind of this initiation of something beginning and there's going to be some kind of sacrifice that's made to, to awaken this Christ consciousness. And I think that that's really significant that that is the, the color paint that he's looking for um, as he kind of like grabs that from his son. And, you know, we, we have the water bearer symbolism there as well, because he puts it into a bucket that he brings back up the spinal cord and it's actually the pine cone. And we have this like realization of potential further spiritual awakenings because the pine cone moving up that, you know, he's got it in a bucket and he pulls it up the string. Again, this is representing like the elevation of this new potential spiritual awakening that's going to happen with a bang, um, you know, very shortly after he starts to use the blood of Christ um, for purification. Um Blood is the spiritual conductor within the body. And so this is the start of the electrical charge. This is, this is the, this is the red that's going to kind of start the explosion, um, to kind of conduct the energy that we experience with like the tragedy that's going to kind of happen in the church. Um, that's just about to follow this. Um, and I think it shows a lot because, you know, this, the, there's this understanding as well as, you know, the, the damaging that's actually going to happen to this like holy place as well. And we're going to actually see the decay through the priest eyes as it aligns itself with like fascism. And this is also going to represent kind of the spiritual decay of the church as it's hidden these deeper secrets. You know, the Pope knows about what the pineal gland is, but we're not allowed, you know, all of these spiritual books that are locked away under the Vatican, you know, the biggest library in the world has the biggest esoteric library in the world we do not have access to, and it's under the Vatican, um, and it's for their eyes only. And so I think we also kind of see the spiritual decay of the church represented in this collective, and then also, you know, all of the other things that have been attached to this, like, spiritual organization. So again, it's it's kind of like letting you know that, like, the grass might be greener, and there might be people doing some, like, you know, spiritual things, but 
what is it fertilized here? Um, and we really kind of start to see like what's below the surface. And, you know, we really kind of start to lift the veil even deeper as we go deeper into the story with the ultimate veil of, you know, the death of his son. No, that's, that's awesome, man. Absolutely. And there's, there's also a lot of, of we... moments where uh, if you catch it and you watch it again, that they're insisting on the pine cone being pure. The boy keeps looking for the right pine cone. Um, you know, he's he's searching for the pine cone that it's the best version of, of the pine cone that can be seeded so the tree can grow. And that's the only thing that he kind of keeps bringing up to Geppetto. He's like, do you think this this one? What about this one? And that moment there in the church, he has the perfect pine cone in his hand. Um and he's he's very eager to kind of you know show and share to his father as his father is very busy and it's right there and then where you start to hear the sort of clamor there's sort of like you know ruckus in the background and you can tell just by the way that del toro you know does a great job in manipulating the the puppets or the stop motion characters eyes that there's trouble in the horizon there's something happening and, um, you know, it obviously goes without saying that there's trouble coming when you can hear bombs falling in the distance. But Geppetto still does a good job at sort of just telling um, his son, Carlo, hey, let's just wrap it up for the evening and go home and sit by the fire and have a nice soup. And it's right there and then where, you know, he walks out of the church and the boy, although very obedient, is still carrying that curiosity of a child. So even though the boy is always looking up to his father and knows when to, you know, follow his steps, he's still very enamored by the one thing that he keeps bringing up to him, which is that pine cone, which eventually becomes his physical demise. Because as they step out of the church, you can see that there are planes coming in the distance that are, they're not necessarily enemy planes. They're just planes, you know, unloading their cargo. And in this case, they're bombs. And the one bomb that gets unloaded uh, unknown to you know the pilots is the bomb that ends up hitting the church, and they're both out of harm's uh, way. You know they're they're not going to be killed in that moment, but the boy in his wonderment, you know, he runs right back into the church because he forgets the pine cone, and as he runs back into the church to get the pine cone, the bomb obviously hits the church, and Geppetto turns to sort of go after his son and that's the last time he sees his son but not the last time he sees the pine cone the pine cone is immediately the only thing that comes out of the church spits right back uh into this into the street where geppetto has you know fallen and the pine cone's not harmed but the sun is gone physical sun is gone the pine cone remains and it is that pine cone that he will take and he will seed and he will grow the tree. And I think that's a very significant moment right there, you know, out of all the things that can be, you know, lost in a, in a fire or an explosion like that, this is the one thing that remains. And so we can kind of take it from there, right? So he, he plants the seed uh, and the seed that he's talked about already, you know, which is one, one life is lost. Another one must grow as he refers to the pine cone. Um, so Carlo dies, the pine cone survives and the pine cone is planted, which will be the tree. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important there that we've get foreshadowed 
what was the big lesson of why we ended one completion to start anew was to understand what was eternal. And I think the pine cone surviving the explosion gives us the answer that we're going to come to at the end, um, which is what is eternal is, is the spirit. It's the connection with that universal life force that there is no beginning or end to. Um, and so it's the dance with, with what goes back in the box, what goes back in the monopoly box and what stays, um, you know, and this is, this is a hard experience to obviously have them go through, but with one seed, you know, with one death, we plant the seed. And it's just the idea of fertilizer. This is the process of fermentation um, through the alchemical process. And we really could kind of look at this as a stage of fermentation with the idea that Geppetto has conquered the four elements. He he understands how to be a good man. Like he understands how to operate in this, in this society and his culture in a respectable way. But now he's asking to be, we to be woken up to spiritual capacities within him that are still laid dormant um, and aren't going to be able to find their expression unless there's something that can kind of, you know, smooth them out um, smooth out his stone. And and that's what we kind of see with this idea, even with the original story. Um, you know, the original writer of the story was a Freemason, and Freemasons work with stone. And there is the idea that the stone needs to be chiseled away to be made smooth. And when it's made smooth, not only can we you know, run our hands through it and feel like the different components of who we are without like cutting ourselves and feel like all angles from ourselves. But we also can slide and work together with others in our community. Um, This is why the pyramids, their greatest mystery was how the stones were cut because they're so perfect that they don't even need adhesive to stick together. Where in our synthetic kind of understanding of ourselves, we need synthetic glue to work with our community. We need some kind of materialistic aim to partner with somebody. We don't just do it always for the spiritual accord of coming together. Oh, there's some kind of financial thing I can gain from this, or there's some kind of social gain I can gain from this. And that's why we have to stick with glue today. And we can't just slide together and work together in a communal way because our our stones aren't chiseled away. And so that's what's kind of happening. We're going through this this chiseling period, but it's it's going to be really rough and it's going to be you know, it's going to be coercive. It's going to, it's going to take everything we have and it's actually going to feel like the wheels of life are grinding against us. Um, but it's through that death uh, and this death of what's finite that we can actually connect to what's infinite. Um, and I think we see this represented perfectly with what you brought up about that the pine cone that the pine cone survives. The pine cone survives as well as the cross survives, even without like the structure of the church, the cross still stays there. And, you know, I think that's going to be a big representation as like, no matter how um, inverted, you know, modern religion can get, you can never take away the prophets and the ultimate teachers. You know, modern day church might be everything that Jesus didn't want to see, um, but they still, even though with all the kind of the bastardization of his studies and what he represented, you still can't take away the prophet. Um, you can't take away what's eternal. And we really kind of start to see the eternal 
principles, foundations, and ultimately roots that Geppetto is going to need to root himself to, to make sure that he can withstand the other storms that are going to come our way, because that's going to be constant. The storms are always going to be coming. It just depends on how good of a sailor we actually, you know, form and mold ourselves into. And, you know, and, and as we're talking about Geppetto, as we're talking about, you know, this whole tragedy that, that's happening to him, um, I do want to kind of address something that I thought was, was really profound that you said earlier. Um, and it's, it's kind of the idea for, for a hero's journey and this, the story of Geppetto finding his completeness. I think what makes this so difficult is from the outsiders looking in, we see Geppetto as as an upstanding individual. Like from our perspective, he is complete. You know, like you said, like mm-hmm. he's he survived whether it was the loss of his wife. You know, he's he's doing everything that he can, and I think that that's you know I think it's a really good exploration of of the spiritual journey of you know we don't know what we want. You know we. We, we know what we want, but we don't know what we need. And I think that this is a, a, a perfect right, telling right. of this, you know, and we don't know truly our true potential. And there's so much that kind of comes and so much that needs to be unfolded. And, you know, I even love the idea of, of this character's age. You know, we're going to have the young story with Pinocchio when he comes online and turns alive, but we still have this hero's journey of this elder individual who's still gone through so many trials and tribulations, but the universe still, you know, desires for him to see an essence, an inner essence that is not being incorporated into the self. Um, And so the process of completion continues. Time goes on and on. And Geppetto figure, you know, really representing father time shows that these, these lessons in this realm are separaternal, you know, over and over and again and again, we're going to kind of keep seeing these patterns of opportunities for us to see who we truly are. And although Chepetto, I think, has done such a good job in his life to create that kind of foundation, the the roots that it's desiring to reach down, which will be an experience of hell that he goes through, um, are the same, you know, are the same roots that are going to ground him in to push out his branches to heaven and to experience this truly this Christ consciousness that is trying to climb up his spinal cord and find its ultimate home and expression in this pineal pinecone gland um, that every culture we've already kind of spoken about um, thinks is pretty much a big deal um, and something we should look into and not overlook or, um, you know, reject from ourselves. I agree. You know, you make a valid point that, um, you know, I know we talked about this towards the beginning when we mentioned, um, you know, how the pineal gland shrinks over time and how you, your connection to, you know, a higher self is what may or may not, you know, cause that shrinkage or may cause that idea of staying away from a spiritual sense. And I think with him, maybe just having his son Carlo in his life is enough to sort of fuel that uh, within himself. 
as far as the joy and wonderment or the wonder of a, of a child because he, he can live vicariously through his child and kind of ex- explore that. So I think he's given another chance to sort of go back for himself to regain more of a spiritual perspective that not only he's lost, but he's also turned into somewhat of betrayal, which is what you see in the opening scene when the man is is, you know, so distraught. And, you know, in that scene, kind of towards, you know, um, his mourning period of losing his son, you're starting to kind of see that the next chapter unfold when we are introduced to, you know, a character that I cannot wait to talk about um, extensively about, but that is, you know, Jiminy Cricket and also, you know, the potential of where Pinocchio comes from, you know, from heartache and from sorrow and from even anger is where, you know, he decides to sort of take that pine cone that already grew into the tree over the course of many years while life moves on without him. The tree is kind of a constant reminder of, you know, life has moved on without you and you're still here Mm -hmm. feeling the sorrow and the pain of what you once lost. And so, um, yeah, man, I know it's a lot, and it, and I know we've already covered so much. And so you and I spoke about how we're going to break this into uh, possibly even a three-part series. But I think, you know, we'll see where we can go with part two because there's so much to talk about with the coming online of, you know, this, this character that we're, you know, uh, so eager to talk about, which is Pinocchio and, and his journey. Um, but, you know, I think everything you're just saying about Geppetto is is right on point because, you know, it is easy to kind of turn your attention to Pinocchio and sort of not forget Geppetto, but I think that in this case with Del Toro, he did a very good job of saying like, no, there's more than just one character whose journey is unfolding here. It's not just Pinocchio. And I think in the original, we kind of, you know, really turn our attention to to Pinocchio, obviously, you know, being the protagonist in this, but I do like how he's like, no, like this comes from somewhere very deep. You know, the the child wasn't just born out of boredom from some carpenter who's like, I'm going to make a child. It's like, let's go and explore the pain and the loss that this man, you know, has had or is going through in order to fuel this next life that's going to come, that's going to come to, to be part of his, his, his journey, you know, to get a second chance at retrieving that spiritual, um, awakening that he might have already you know turned off by the tragedy of the loss of his son and also by the betrayal of you know the joy he once had um with just his his small life that he had in this village that needs to kind of be revisited again so yeah yeah absolutely and you know as we bring up you know Jivity cricket or sebastian in this film and it's that's going to be an interesting name correlation of of why they chose that term and you know, we'll we'll explore this as we kind of jump into the to the second part because the second part is when all of the the characters kind of arrive of consciousness to be represented, and you know the fascinating part of what you know Jiminy Cricket represents, what you know Geppetto represents, what Pinocchio represents. We'll we'll take a look at that, but the the understanding as well that all all parts and all components of consciousness are going to go through this evolution. And, you know, everybody comes in with these unique, this capacity, but it's only just capacity. And it's going to be through experience and insight that they're going to be able to, you know, really morph that or sand down, smooth out the rough edges to be able to 
all of the components of consciousness to work together that all of these represent, you know? And I think that's one of the big things we always think about through these archetypal stories is we, you know, we see it in variations of multiple characters. And just like we were speaking about in the beginning, but it, but it truly is one character. Um, it's, and it's the unification and the celebration of that true character, you know, radiating and illuminating through. And, you know, I, I think, to kind of just touch with this ending of this conversation, you brought up the point to, you know, we get sometimes blindsided in stories as like, this is the hero. These are the sidekicks. Um, and you you brought up something really great as no, there's in every story, there's multiple heroes. And we can even see that in our own environment when we're trying to navigate this through it. Like, yeah, we're on our own personal hero's journey, but so is everybody else. And you know, and it's it's all of these heroes working together on their own independent journeys that fuels the collective evolution. And sometimes, and I think a lot of times that what we have to remember there is you see the other heroes, but you don't see the hero in yourself. Um, you don't see your own hero's journey because you're like, oh, it's it's their hero's journey. This is the person in the spotlight. But when truly you, you are in the spotlight right now, um, working through all of these energies, balancing out all these energies, going through these trials and tribulations, so, you know, we experience resistance, so ultimately the universe can, you know, present to us our perfection um, that was always with us, but was, you know, very denied because of traumas, pain, um, and everything that we kind of see through the eyes of Geppetto through this early little, you know, quarter of the film that we've explored. And so, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm really excited. I was, I was really excited when you brought this to our attention, that this should be an episode we look into, um, you know, and as we kind of looked into it, we we really do see that it's that it's kind of an endless story that every moment could be broken down into much more detail. And so, I think in the second episode and part two, um, you know, we're going to kind of continue to the to the waking up of Pinocchio and the waking up of this inner child within Geppetto and this reemergence of it. But I'm sure there's going to be things that we're going to kind of go back and cover from that first part as well um, and kind of get caught up on. And, you know, I think that this is such a rich conversation that we'll, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to set any, you know, ends on if it's going to be a two episode series, three episode series, you know, we, you know, maybe we'd be talking about Pinocchio in 2025, you know, when we're... (laughs) Well, you and I have talked about it certainly for a long time and, and, and even the conversations we would have since it was just you and I in private was like, Hey, you know, this understanding of maybe a young in perspective or this other understanding from some other psychoanalyst or some other understanding of philosophy or some other understanding of like potentiality or, or the hero's journey and, and all that together we always sort of kind of pinpoint certain films that lend themselves very easily if the eyes are open to that, um, that, that what's trying to reveal to you. And I think that when I get to have these conversations with you over a movie, it's so nice because there's so many things I haven't really paid attention to, or maybe didn't, um, correlate, or maybe if I did, I kind of need to explore it a little deeper and see what your, you know, um, 
what angle you're looking at it from and, and compare with that. And so like, I just really enjoy these conversations, but, uh, but yeah, man, uh, really excited to continue this and, and all the other things that we have to still finish on this, on this season. But, um, oh my guy, uh, you know, I, I can keep going on for, for a long time. So, um, just want to thank all the listeners. Uh, thanks again for, for, you know, listening to, to these episodes when we do the breakdowns of movies and to those who even suggested it, there's been a couple of people who've watched this movie and have connected with us or reached out and said, Hey, will you guys do a breakdown of this movie? And again, this is a conversation Dale and I've had for a long time from the original movie, um, from the forties to the latest with Del Toro, I highly recommend maybe taking a look at it again. So you kind of see where we're at and where we're coming from. Um, if that's something you'd like to do, but, uh, again, thank you so much for all the support and, um, until next time then until next time.